The following sermon was preached by me, Jeremiah Cox, at the Elm Street Church of Christ in El Reno, Oklahoma. It is my prayer that you are edified by this study, and I encourage you to test all things by the Word of God. Good to be with everyone once again this evening. I appreciate your presence, and certainly been encouraged and edified by the worship thus far. I hope that the lesson will be a benefit to you as well. Before we get to that, I mentioned this morning that we are going to have, of course, as the men have discussed, a, a training class, a study on this Saturday at 10 a.m., and those books actually did come in. I just didn't check the mailbox, so they're on the table in the foyer, um, and they are limited, um, so I would um, say limit that to the men who are going to, to be in that study. Um, it's definitely specific to that, and so those our books are back there. I encourage you to grab one and to study that first lesson and, and be prepared for that on Saturday at 10 in the morning. The Christian is one, of course, who has yielded and submitted to the control of Jesus, control of the King, and their lives. Uh, Paul makes that clear in Galatians 2 and verse 20, that it's no longer Paul who lived, but Christ lived in him. And this is certainly something that required Paul's participation and submitting to Jesus and his will. And it was not just in his actions, but in his words. In Colossians 3 and verse 17, Paul noted, the preeminence of Christ demands that whatever we do in word or deed, we are to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, that is, by his authority. And we note that from time to time, and we emphasize the phrase, whatever we do in word or deed. And that's a very biblical concept. Our words must be congruous with our actions and our character and our confession and profession of faith. The fact that we name the name of Christ in this world of sin should be reflected not just in the things that we do, the way we act around other people in a very outward manner using our bodies, but the part of our body that is very small our tongue, the things that we say, it means a great deal as we live life on earth before the Father. And so what we need to do is beware of the sin of profanity. And I think it's one of those things that is minimized, at least by the world. And because it's minimized by the world, there is the tendency for Christians sometimes to be influenced by the world into thinking that profane speech is really not that big of a deal. But after all, it's just words. But the Bible is very clear about the power of the tongue. You know, we hear phrases and, and words like sticks and stones will break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And I think that there's a principle in that that we do need to convey to our children that just because they said something mean to you, you don't have to be affected by that. You can let that roll off your, your back like water rolls off the, the back of a duck is what my parents have told me before. And just let it roll off your back, sticks and stones. But really the sentiment of that saying is not that true. The Bible speaks of offensive and hurtful speech that causes great damage, not only to those that are offended by it, but to the offender. James 3 speaks very clearly about the power of the tongue to the degree where he says in verse 2 of James 3, we all stumble in many things. But he notes this one thing, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. And he goes on to illustrate why that's the case. 
He uses the example of a bit in horses' mouths that control that entire animal, that, that monstrous animal, that strong animal, one little piece of metal hooked to some leather will control that mammoth of an animal. And then it talks about the rudder on a ship, how something so small will control an enormous vessel in a tempestuous body of water. And so in verse 5, he says, even so the tongue is a little member, but it boasts great things. That means the tongue is capable of great things. And he likens it again to something else, a little fire that kindles an entire forest fire and it burns everything in its path. Uh, me and Zoe, when we went to our honeymoon, saw some signs that showed the threat level of a forest fire. We don't see a lot of that around here. In fact, we went to Mount Scott and we saw that in Lawton, but we don't really see those signs very many places around here, but they're very important in a place like California, which is notorious for forest fires because you do one little thing, something that you might not think is really that big of a deal, and maybe it's a person who smokes throwing a cigarette butt out the window or, or something other than that that's very simple that can cause so great destruction and many lives are lost by it. He likens our words, our tongue, to that. The fact that it can cause much damage to those that are subject to its offense and to the one causing the offense. A tongue is indeed something we must gain control over. James 1.26 says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And I think that we are familiar with people who are Christians, who name the name of Christ, claim to be living mature lives, who have speech like a sailor. They may not be involved in all of this immorality in an outward manner, but they speak just like the people who are involved in that, but they claim to be faithful to the Lord. James warns, don't deceive yourself. If you can't bridle your tongue, then your religion is useless. It essentially cancels out everything else because the tongue is that destructive. It's that important. And as we'll note, it manifests the inner man. The Christian must not take part in profane speech or profanity. That's a characterization of the world. I want to give some time, though, to the understanding of profanity. I think we all know what profanity is. Bad words, cuss words. But there is a very biblical, inherently biblical concept to that word profanity. Profane means unhallowed or common is the definition that Strong gives. Webster defines it as this, not concerned with religion or religious purposes. And that's not just saying that secular speech in the sense of we're not talking about Bible, we're not talking about uh, um, scripture, we're just talking about sports, that's somehow profane speech. It's, it's speech that is not befitting religious concepts and purposes. It has nothing to do with God because it is impure. It's not holy because it's unconsecrated, impure, or defiled. It's also used in a verb form, and it means to treat something that is sacred, something that is hallowed, something that is holy, with irreverence and abuse and Contempt. That's what profane means. You might remember in Hebrew or in Leviticus, rather, chapter 10 and verse 3, where Nadab and Abihu were guilty of offering profane fire before the Lord. It just means 
that that fire was not sanctified or consecrated for that purpose. That there was a fire that God had commanded them to offer. And the text actually says they offered fire that the Lord did not tell them to offer. It was, it was therefore profane. It was unholy. And, and really, in a sense, they profaned the fire of that offering by using fire that was not specified by the Lord. The word profanity can mean simply the quality or state of being profane. And when in use referring to our language, it just means language that is unhallowed or common. And, you know, we see this concept in Scripture from time to time. Considering the verb form of profane, you profane something, treat something with abuse or irreverence. I think the first thing that may come to our mind is when people blaspheme God. They profane the name of God. They take the most holy name, the most hallowed name, and use it as something that is common, an everyday thing, and, and use it in very dirty ways, in, in sacrilegious ways. In Leviticus 19 and verse 12, the Bible says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. That is, in its verb form, don't treat my name in a common way. In Exodus 20 and verse 7, the Ten Commandments, one of them was, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And that's the concept of, of profaning the name of our God. It is taking it in, in vain. That is, it's empty. Remember in Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. That means everything under the sun, done without God in mind, is an empty life. It has no purpose to it. And a lot of people use God's name in that way, as if there's no validity to it, there's no weight to it, there's no importance to it. But we know how holy His name is, how uncommon it is, how special and wonderful it is. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, the Israelites are told to hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your strength. They were about to go into a land filled with idols, false gods. And they were to be reminded that there's only one God. And when the Old Testament uses Lord and it's capitalized, L-O-R-D are all capital letters, that is the name Jehovah or Yahweh. That is the particular name of the one and only true God of the Israelite nation. Not Baal, not Ashtoreth, but Jehovah is God. There's one God, and you ought not take his name in vain. You ought not profane his name. You're taking something that is, is most holy, and you're using it in a very common way. This is why Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6 and verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy, consecrated, sanctified, be your name. The American Standard Version of Psalm 111 and verse 9 says, Holy and reverend is his name. He is holy. Therefore, his name is holy, and it must not be used in any profane way. It must not be profane. And then you consider it in its adjective, uh, adjective form, that there are words and there is speech and there is manner of conversation that is, is described as profane. It in and of itself is unholy. Not necessarily you have taken something holy like the name of God and profaned it, but you are simply speaking with speech that is inherently profane. It's unholy. It's not fitting. Colossians, the third chapter in verse 8 says this, Now you yourselves are to put off all these 
anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and filthy language out of your mouth. Blasphemy and filthy language are rightly described as profane language. It's unholy. You ought not to blaspheme others, especially not God. And there is a concept of filthy language. In fact, in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, the Apostle Paul encouraging those brethren to walk in the light because you are children of the light, says in verse 11, to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And he says something very interesting. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. And you know what? He's not just saying that we know it's shameful. He's saying they know it's shameful. The world knows their shame in this. And I think it's very evident that that is the case when we look into the entertainment industry. We live in a very secularized society full of immorality and filth and unholiness. Yet there are still movie ratings. And much of the movie ratings have to do with language. This movie is rated R for violence, nudity, and profanity or language. This movie is rated PG because there's not as much profanity, but even in movies that are rated PG, sometimes it says there is some unclean speech in it, obscenity, crude jokes, whatever it may be. And I think the world understands that. And in many cases, live TV prohibits profanity. And there are fines that are given when profanity is utilized in a live format and that is without permission. Now and uh, more and more, we're seeing profanity in live TV and prime time and such, but, but that's because society is going further and further away from, from God and understanding concepts of holiness. Ephesians 4 and verse 29, Paul says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. There are such things as corrupt words. We read from James 3 in verse 10, he says, Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. This is not just a simple biblical concept. This is something the world understands. They may not care about it, but the world acknowledges that there is base speech. And I would say this, I've discussed this concept with Christians sometimes, and they've asked the question, well, who's the arbiter that is going to decide which word is filthy language and which word is not filthy language. And it's not conducive to a study of staying away from unholy things for me to list off all the cuss words in the English language. But I want to tell you, we know what they are. And if we don't know and we utter something, it's like we will find out that what we said was profane. And really all you've got to do if you have a question about it is not projecting it to the world. Look it up on Webster. It'll tell you. Look it up on a, a standard dictionary. It'll tell you this is crude. This is something offensive. This is something base or profane. It's acknowledged as such. It's not a normal word. It's a word meant to be offensive. It's not a normal word. It's a word meant to be used in an unholy way. And it may not use biblical language in that regard, but the world understands that there is profane language. And Christians ought not to have anything to do with filthy speech. You know, Ephesians 5 said that there are some things that are even shameful to be spoken of. I think this is one of those things. We know what it is. I don't have to describe sins in their most gruesome and terrible details. We know what they are. And we know the curse words. We know what is unholy and profane speech. And we ought not to be using it. 
I want to tell you this, though. It goes a little deeper than that. And this is something that's given me a greater understanding in considering profanity is considering the concept of language as it pertains to holiness. I want to tell you, language in general is a hallowed thing. And profanity is using the whole general concept of language in a way that is common, not not acknowledging how special it is and that it's God-given. It came from God. He gave us the ability to speak. He gave us the ability to reason. In fact, reason and speech come from God. He is reason and speech. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the Greek word logos or logos, and it simply means something said. Now, the concept is a bit deeper than that, especially as it pertains to religious thinking and and Christianity and studying the New Testament, but logos simply means something said. It's reason communicated through speech. What other facet of creation uses logos or, or speech or language? I understand that the animal world communicates together. We just saw Lion King yesterday, but the animal world doesn't communicate like that. Animals don't talk that way. They communicate, and they really don't need speech to communicate because they communicate to the degree God designed them to communicate. They do what they need to do, and they have what they have and need to have. But people were created in the image of God. We were created by a rational being, as rational beings, not just to communicate amongst ourselves in greater detail, expressing the innermost parts of our our being and our hearts, but especially communicating to Him, both Him communicating to us and our reciprocating that communication. God designed man with the capability of communication, and that has a very important, holy role in our relationship with Him. New American Standard Bible, in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 13, speaking of the revelation of God's wisdom, Paul writes this, which things we also speak as apostles, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. I'm not suggesting that before time began, God spoke English or Spanish or some other word or or language that we have today, but he did have reason. And God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are unified in will and character in every way in eternity before we ever even were in existence. And a lot of that had to do with their intelligence and reason that cohabited in unison. And what God's doing in the Holy Scriptures is is using this created avenue of communication, of language, to impart wisdom to us, to reveal himself to us in greater detail beyond the revelation of creation so that we can know him and do his will. But not only that, that we can understand it. Ephesians 3 and verse 4, Paul says when you read, you can understand, have my understanding of the scripture and then communicate back to him with the same kind of created thing, language and prayer. That's as hallowed as it gets, I think. If, if we take away language, the ability to communicate the, the idea of speech, we have no relationship with God because we can't understand what he's trying to give us and we can't communicate to him. And that's the whole idea of fellowship with God. He's communicating to us. We're submitting when we understand what he's communicated and then we're communicating back to him. What's more holy than that? 
in all the world, other than, of course, the Son of God and His blood and His sacrifice, what's more holy than the avenue of communication and speech and language? That's the substance of our Bibles, is the idea of language. And it's not some product of evolution where we once communicated by, by grunting and, and having our mating calls like the animal world and then one day our mind just developed and, and we could communicate in a more detailed fashion where we could build industry and, and have these great technologies that come up because of our ability to communicate. It was by design. It was created. Yet so often... Men take that hallowed facet of God's creation and they make it something base and common. They profane it. God forbid. There's an example of this in the beginning in Genesis 11 where the creation of God at that time had one language. And that one language created for all the world to know and be involved in was for a good purpose of unification and submission to God's will. And we see a way that they profaned it. They took what was holy, what was hallowed, what was created by God for service to Him, and they used it in a base and sinful way. In Genesis 11 and verse 1, it says that the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered across or abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there, uh, there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. I think we remember God's intention in Genesis 1:28 when he created man. Let them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And the men of this time decided to use their unification of speech to start erecting this great tower and city in one area. We're not going to be scattered abroad in one area. And I think that's a big part of the problem of the pre-flood world where men conspired and they got together and instead of serving God in unity, they rebelled against God in unity and the whole earth began corrupted. And the people that would want to serve God were forced to not serve God through through despotism and fear because this one language allowed men to grow in power and subdue other peoples. And here's what they're doing here in Genesis 11. God's given us this wonderful, incredible, and obviously powerful thing, language. We're not going to use it to unify together in service to Him. but We're going to use it out of pride. We're going to use it in a sinful way. Therefore, they profane speech and language. I want to tell you every time we use those base words, every time we communicate filthy speech, we speak in ways that are not befitting the Christian or God's character, we take something that is holy language in a general way and we profane it. 
and therefore we sin against God. That's why we can talk about profanity as it pertains to sin. That's why profanity exists because of rebellion against God, because of those who don't acknowledge speech as a God-given gift to serve Him with. And you know, following that, profanity becomes a manifestation in a linguistic way of our inner self. If profanity is unholy speech, then it's only going to come from an unholy person. James 3 talked about the incongruous nature of some speech where out of the same mouth flow both blessing and cursing. And he said these things ought not to be so. And he's talking to brethren who are manifesting themselves as not being so spiritually minded. They might think they are, but their speech shows their true man, their inner self. Jesus taught this principle in Matthew 15 and verse 18 when he said, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and or false witness and blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. A Christian may say that they fear God. A Christian may say that they long for heaven. A person may say that they certainly serve God. But when they start speaking and joking about things like fornication and adultery or even taking the Lord's name in vain, what they do is they manifest their true self by their speech. Because what they're doing is speaking unholy things and what that's showing is that they're unholy people. They may claim to be holy and then out of that same mouth of claiming holiness, they take the Lord's name in vain and what they show is that they're a fraud. They're not holy people. And I want to tell you the world sees that. Not just God sees that and knows that, but the world sees that. This is why Paul was very emphatic when he reproved the Colossians for continuing in their immoral ways. And he mentioned speech, as we mentioned before. Now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of their mouth. Do not lie to one another. And he explains why. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And I put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Profanity manifests the inner man that is unholy. Christians ought not to be involved in it. And there's an obvious reason for that, of course, that God forbids profanity. Christians are those who have been created in Christ Jesus for God's service. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 speaks of the good works that we're prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are, we are the masterpiece of God for his service. And we noted in Colossians 3 and verse 17, that means not only the deeds that we're involved in, but the words that come out of our mouths are supposed to be for service to him. And much of the things that we're commanded to do as Christians involve our speech. We certainly do acts of service. We do acts of abstinence and we do acts of evangelism, but essentially the, the core of our entire being as Christians before God in service to Him revolves around the speech that we have as we speak where God speaks. We do His will and say His will. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, the Apostle Paul said, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I acknowledge that this has to do with eating meats. Don't, don't eat it in such a way that would not glorify God. If it's not going to glorify God, don't do it even if it is a liberty. But this certainly is applicable to any and every situation in our lives, especially our speech. 
whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. That's what we're created for. Romans the sixth chapter in verse twelve, we see that's what we use our bodies for, and that includes our smallest member, our tongue, as James three lists. In verse twelve of Romans six, Paul says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. But instead, present your members as in, don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under law, but under grace. When he says members there, he certainly has reference to the body as a whole. We utilize it in righteous ways. We, we use our bodies as God's instrument toward his service, but it also has to do with any part of our body. We don't use it in an unholy way. We utilize it toward God. So God gave us our bodies, and he gave us our bodies to serve him, which means every part of our body has a purpose in that service. It may just be that our body, it helps our body function as a whole so we can serve God acceptably and we can function the way that he has commanded us to function. But there are things like the tongue that have great power and capability. And he says, you take that power, you take the capability of the tongue, you don't use it for unrighteousness. You've been cleansed of that. Use it as an instrument of righteousness. Because the Christian is to serve God. God prohibits profanity. But also, language, as we noticed, is designed by God, and His design for it is for good. In Bible class this morning, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, where the Apostle Peter said, Therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy, envy and evil speaking as newborn days, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And you know, the context in chapter 1 speaks of of being born again by the word of God to a or into a sincere love of the brethren. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, that has to do with speech that is ultimately unholy, that is used to injure other people. I want to suggest to you this is part of his exhortation for them to, to in, be involved in those spiritual sacrifices, especially as it pertains to helping each other and loving each other. They've been born into that love. Don't injure each other with speech. Use that speech to build each other up. Certainly, lay those things aside. First Peter 4 and verse 11 says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. And I understand that we often reference this, and I think rightly so, as it pertains to when we teach, when we preach, when we name the name of Christ. You don't do it in a way that is contrary to what Scripture defines and describes, but you do it in assimilation with the will of God you speak like the Bible speaks. We use Bible terms. We use Bible language. And we don't contradict the scriptures. But I would suggest to you that we need to take this in this way as well. That God would never use profanity. God would never say this about so and so. God would never describe this in this way. God would never even speak of this. Remember Ephesians 5.12. You speak as the oracles of God. If God wouldn't say it, we ought not say it. You know... There's the gimmicky bracelets that people like to wear. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Maybe there should be some that are WWJS, what would Jesus say? Because that matters as well. And we should think that way at least. We shouldn't just wear it so people see it, but we should at least have that as a profession in our life that we don't speak like the world speaks. We speak like God speaks. You know, language is meant for God to praise Him. Psalm 105 and verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks 
to the Lord. How with your speech, with your language. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of his wondrous works. Our speech is meant to evangelize. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Our speech is always to be seasoned. Colossians 4 and verse 5 says, and this is really concerning evangelism, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Again, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. You know, we preach a principle of authority. That is, when God specifies to use something in a manner or to use a particular thing or do something in a particular way, when he specifies, silence doesn't authorize, specificity declines any other thing that does not line up with it. It it prohibits. When he specified gopher wood for Noah and the building of the ark in Genesis 6, that put away all other kinds of wood. It excludes. And God says, use your speech in this specific way. You build up. You praise me. You you have it seasoned with salt. You reach out and you bring men to me. You You put aside the evil speaking. And when he specifies that this language is designed for good in our service to God, it excludes all base speech, all unholy language. You know, I think the greatest thing, though, is that God forbids profanity because he forbids our being conformed to the world that we live in. We recently studied in the Wednesday night Bible class as we're going through portraits of discipleship, the portrait of disciples as strangers and pilgrims or sojourners and pilgrims. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through is what we sing from time to time. Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3 says, and heaven is filled with righteousness, which includes speech. There is a a righteous speech. There is a, a speech that is pure, but there is also a speech that is impure, and that's not from heaven. That's from men. We conform to the world when we start speaking like the world. Let it not be so. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Profanity is characteristic of the unholy, and holy Christians, therefore, should not use profane speech. Remember in Matthew 26, when Peter is fulfilling prophecy, ultimately, that he will deny Jesus, and he's in the courtyard, and they're saying, surely you're, you were one of them. We, we recognize you. We, we see you. And he denied and he denied and he denied. This is what they eventually said in Matthew 26 and verse 73. A little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. I understand that that's speaking of him being a Galilean. He, he speaks like Jesus spoke, whether it was the, the, uh, the dialect and, and some words he was using. Or, or the sound of his speech, that they could understand that he's a Galilean. He, he was with him. He speaks like them. We can hear it in his voice, the inflections and, and all of the things that are involved in our everyday speech. We know where we come from based on our dialect. But I want to tell you that if speech can betray Peter, speech can betray us. People are going to know whether we actually are loyal to God and faithful to God by our speech. 
We may boast a lot of things, but if our speech is unholy and, and laced with profanity, it betrays us. It shows we're not really a Christian. We may name the name of Christ. We may claim to be a Christian, but in our works and in our words, we deny him. Because we don't speak as the oracles of God. First Peter 4 and verse 11. But there's something else that's interesting in this passage. When they said, your speech betrays you, notice what he did to convince them of what was not true, but he didn't want to name the name of Christ, to convince them that I am not part of that group with Jesus. He began to curse and to swear, saying, I do not know the man. So what he did is he tried to escape the assimilation with Jesus that his speech boasted of by speaking like the commoners, speaking like the world, by cursing, by swearing. They're going to know that I'm not part of Jesus. I'm not with him because Jesus would never speak like this. That's the whole concept of this. I'm going to curse and I'm going to swear just like everyone else. And surely they'll leave me alone after this. That tells us a lot about our speech. Proverbs 6 and verse 12 says this. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. You know, I mentioned it before that the world acknowledges the reality of profanity and the fact that there's a base, inherent base quality in the use of profanity. There is a resource I found online, a, a book written by a man named Steven Pinker, and it's called The Stuff of Thought, and he discusses profanity, profane thought that comes out in profane speech. And he mentioned five particular purposes for profanity. Why do people use profanity? He suggested five uses for profanity. And I want to tell you, these are characteristic of the world. And Christians ought not to be conformed to the world using speech in these ways. Firstly, he mentioned abusive swearing, which is intended to offend, intimidate, or otherwise cause emotional or psychological harm. Remember in Ephesians 4 and verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. It is conforming to the world to use our speech to abuse others. He mentioned this though, cathartic swearing used in response to pain or misfortune. How many times have we heard someone stub their toe and utter an expletive or something worse happens? Maybe they just get frustrated and it's built up and they let it out a cathartic way to release themselves. They utter expletives. Christians have a better way. Philippians 4 and verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When we get angry, when we get scared, when we get emotional, when we get nervous, when we grow anxious, we don't utter expletives, we pray to God. We use our speech for good. We cast our cares upon Him. Another thing he mentioned is diffamistic swearing. It's used to convey that the speaker thinks negatively of the subject matter and to make the listener do the same. Dif dysphemism is the opposite of, of euphemism. Euphemism takes something that sounds like an offensive word, but it's not as bad to kind of tone it down a little bit. Dysphemism does the exact opposite. It actually uses more offensive words to express how they feel negatively about any given subject. People talk, use this when they, when they have an opinion on something. And instead of, just, instead of just spouting off the facts about it and, and giving their position and letting the facts speak for themselves, they'll utter expletives. They'll be profane in their speech so that people now are associating this, this 
combination of negativity with that particular thought. Let it not be so. Ephesians 5 and verse 15 says, we're to speak the truth in love. Let the truth speak for itself. And you know what? We are victims of diffamistic swearing in the world today. 1 Peter 2 and verse 11 and 12 speaks of those who would speak evil against us as as evildoers. They speak against us as evildoers, but when they observe our good conduct, they know that that's not so. Why do people look down on us? Because others use disphemistic swearing. Another one he mentioned is emphatic swearing, intended to draw additional attention to what is considered to be worth paying attention to. I'd suggest to you that Peter used a form of emphatic swearing when he denied Jesus. They're not believing what I'm saying. I'm claiming it's truth. I know that it's not true, but I'm trying to get them to know that it's true. And instead of just letting my yes be yes, I'm going to swear, bring more emphasis to this. This is true, and I'm going to show it by swearing. Christians let their yes be yes. James 5 and verse 12 says, Above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. I know how people are going to take my yes for yes. I'm going to use God's name to emphasize that that is the case. James says, let it not be so. That's not how you use your speech. Matthew 5, 37, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. The truth is on our side, brethren. We ought to speak the truth in love. He mentions one more idiomatic swearing, which is, he says, used for no other particular purpose, but as a sign that the conversation and relationship between speaker and listener is informal. So we try to ultimately conform to the masses. We want to be like them. We don't want them to feel different around us. We don't want them to feel uptight around us. We're going to speak like they speak and let them feel a little more comfortable. But in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12, Paul encourages Timothy to let no one despise his youth, but be an example to the believers in word. Take heed to the yourself into the doctrine of God. We don't conform to the world in our speech, but we show ourselves to be salt. There's a distinct flavor to our speech, and it doesn't matter if it makes the world uncomfortable. That's what pertains to God. It's words, he says, that is used for no other particular purpose, but to assimilate ultimately with the world. This is what Jesus says of words that really serve no great purpose. In Matthew 12 and verse 36, he says, I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And that's how swearing takes place today. People saying it doesn't even make sense. If you know what the word actually means, and certainly it's a base word to describe that thing, but you know what it means, and they use that expletive in the middle of the sentence, and you wonder, how does that even fit in there? It doesn't. It's just a word they throw in there. It serves no purpose. And Jesus says, for a person to utter idle speech, it serves no purpose. They're just saying it to be heard. Whatever it may be, you'll be judged by those words. You'll either be justified by your words or condemned. I want to mention one more that is very important in this conversation. And that's swear words that aren't actually swear words. But I'd say they are actually swear words. Now, that means that seems like a huge contradiction, but... That's exactly what it is. We mentioned dysphemistic swearing, but one thing Christians need to be aware of is also euphemistic swearing. And I would call it euphemistic swearing. It's still swearing. 
It may not be the actual word. A euphemism is a substitution of an agreeable or inoffensive expression for one that may offend or suggest something unpleasant. There's a biblical example of a euphemism in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, when Paul said, Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. They knew exactly what he meant by that phrase, fallen asleep. They knew he was referring to death. There wasn't a question. It was common. They understood it. And you know, there are euphemisms that we may be guilty of using from time to time. We catch ourselves and, oh, I shouldn't have said it in that way or I shouldn't have said that. Or maybe some things that we don't really know are euphemisms. We need to kind of study up and, and be aware of what we're saying. And if you don't know it, either look it up or stop saying it. Because just because we don't know that it actually connotes something that is impure and, and profane and unholy does not mean that all of a sudden it's pure now. Really what euphemisms are are simply profane euphemisms. Profane words that are kind of veiled in, in some vain fashion of, of being more like God. And, and really it's trying to have one foot in the world and, and one foot in the church. One foot on God's side, one foot on the world's side because we know that those words are wrong. That's why we use euphemisms. We would never say the actual word. So we're going to use this other word that's a little softer. It's not as offensive. It's more accepted. And we use that knowing that to use the other word is terrible. But when we use that word, people know what we mean. And we know what we mean. Euphemisms are no better than swear words, really. In Matthew six twenty four. Jesus, speaking of riches, says, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. I would suggest to you that using euphemisms is a way of trying to serve two masters. I'm trying to have holy speech, or at least holier speech than the world, but I'm still trying to have speech like the world, and doesn't work that way. Purity is purity. It's not just most of the impurities are out. Purity is void of darkness, void of impurities, and that's how our speech should be. Euphemisms don't accomplish that. Very quickly, and we won't look at these in detail, but there are ways to avoid profanity. It may be something, as especially a, a newborn babe coming out of a life of immorality, being around that kind of speech all of the time, all they've heard all their life, and it just comes naturally. It's something they're going to have to work on. It's something that takes effort. And they may think at some point in time that it's going to be impossible for me to overcome profanity, but it's no greater than any other sin. By the power of God and His grace, we can overcome Profanity. We can avoid it. We can speak not like the world, but like God. We need to spend time in God's word. Philippians 4, 8 says meditate on all of these praiseworthy things. If we're meditating on things that aren't praiseworthy, things that are unholy and base and common, especially as it pertains to our speech, we're entertaining ourselves in ways that puts profanity in our minds and in our hearts. We're going to start speaking and thinking profane things. We meditate on God's word. If we spend time in God's word, then our speech will reflect it. We need to also spend time in prayer. I would suggest to you that one of the places we'll never find ourselves tempted to curse or saying curse words is when we're in prayer to God. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. We should be praying all of the time. And if we're constantly talking to God and we would never even utter a euphemism to God then our speech is going to be reflected in our other relationships in much the same way. We need to avoid evil company. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says that evil company corrupts good habits. Romans 13 and verse 14 says we're to put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So when we're 
around constantly those who utter profanities. It's their common speech. We, as I mentioned, submit ourselves to profane entertainment. We're going to provide for that fleshly thing of profanity. It's only a matter of time. I've heard Christians say that these movies, they don't affect me. That that profanity doesn't affect me. And all that tells me is that they've already been affected by it. They've been desensitized to it. They're in a, in, unable to, to really and truly, at the heart of the matter, they know it's a curse word, but they really don't feel that bad about it. And that manifests the, the confusion they have in their heart and in their mind about distinguishing the holy from the unholy. They've been so desensitized to it that it doesn't affect them. And the product of that will be a participation in profanity. This by no means is a, a comprehensive discussion of the subject. We could go further and further, but I hope it's been beneficial to you to understand why profanity is so bad and it's a sin listed by God. Why we should avoid it and how should we should avoid it. Avoid it. And one of the ways we can avoid it, I think, is, is to pray often, as we said, but pray often in this way. The psalmist said in Psalm 19, 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In the 141st Psalm, in verse 3, he says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. That should be a constant prayer. Our speech should be seasoned with salt. It should be according to God's word. And it should always glorify him. If you're here this evening and have not obeyed the gospel, we want to offer you the invitation to do so. Submit to the holy words of Christ, to be baptized for the remission of your sins, and you can leave this place with the hope of heaven. If you have any other spiritual need that we can assist you with here this evening, the invitation is also extended to you. Come forward while we stand and sing the song that was selected.